We are here this evening and throughout the season of Lent to hone our memories. You'll hear a bit later as ashes are applied to your foreheads these words. Remember you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Remember. We say to you, remember, and we remind each other, and we listen to God's words in order that we might be reminded because our memories are fragile, and they wear out. And so we are here tonight and throughout the season of Lent to hone them like a dull knife. And occasionally it happens that even as you sharpen your knife on your sharpening steel as you're using it, occasionally it becomes so dull that you need to put a new edge on it altogether. That's what we're doing tonight. We're putting a new edge on the knife. We're putting a new edge on your memory. Remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. We're giving that knife a new edge so that it can cut, so that it can do what it is meant to do, so that your memory calls you to repentance, so that you are drawn through repentance to faith in God, so that although the world and the devil and even your own sinful nature would draw you away from all of the good that God has in store for you, even though all of those things attack you, you may stand because you remember. You remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return, and most of all, you remember that you have a God who raises the dead, who has called you back because he loves you like dear children. Remember that you are dust. It is like the preaching that Jonah did in the city of Nineveh. It's probably worth reviewing that story. You're most familiar, I'm sure, with the part where he gets swallowed by a whale. Jonah was a prophet sent by God to preach repentance to the city of Nineveh because their wickedness had reached God's ears. But Jonah didn't want to go. He turned and went the other way. He got on a boat to flee from God's command. A storm came up in the middle of the night and the sailors all panicked and they found out eventually that it was Jonah's fault because he was running away from God. And so he said, toss me overboard, this is all my fault. And they threw him into the ocean and a whale swallowed him up so he had three days and three nights to pray. If, can you imagine if you had three days and three nights to do nothing but pray? Where would your hearts go? His heart cried out to God for mercy. And God showed him mercy in this surprising way. The whale vomited him up on shore. And then God said again, go to Nineveh. And so he went and he arrived in Nineveh and you heard it tonight. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Remember you are dust. And to dust you shall return. There are times when a whole group of people, a nation, a city, a congregation, a community, when a whole group of people may be called to repent. It would have been good if in a time of plague, our nation had repented. That's a tall order for a nation like ours. There are times when group repentance is warranted. But we're here tonight not to talk about group repentance, but about the repentance that is warranted every day in your lives as Christians. Not because of this or that sin, although those occasions may arise as well. When you recognize your sin, repent. 
but we are here to remember a certain kind of repentance that is daily. Because not only do you commit sins in and out of your days, but you are a sinner. It's out of your hearts, your sinful hearts, that sinful deeds proceed. And so we should repent because we are sinners. Unless God draws us to himself, unless God calls us and gives us his promises, the grave and hell are our home. They are our destination. Remember, you are dust, and to dust you shall return. And so, repent. Repent today. Repent tomorrow. Repent the day after that. Practice repentance. Live a life of repentance. Keep that knife sharp so that you are always ready to cling to God's promises so that you never for a moment think you can go without them. It's worth also remembering tonight just what repentance is. This is one of the ways that we sharpen that knife. What is repentance? Repentance is not what the world thinks it is, trying to do better or offering an apology. Repentance has two parts. First, that you feel sorrow over your sin. And second, most importantly, that you believe God's promises, that you have faith. Repentance has these two parts, sorrow over your sin and faith in God. You can see what sorrow over sin looks like as the message that, ne that uh, Jonah preached to Nineveh reached their ears. What did they do? Verse 5, as soon as he was done preaching, the people of Nineveh believed God. They heard what Jonah said, yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown, and they believed God. They believed that by their wickedness they had offended his divine justice, that they had disordered their world, that they had disordered their lives, that they had lived for themselves and not for others, that in their wickedness they had done irreparable damage. They believed God. They believed that they had sinned, and they were sorry, and they wanted to do better. They wanted to turn away from their evil. They wanted to turn away from their wickedness. That is what sorrow over sin looks like. And it is so strong, it is so intense in the people of Nineveh that it bursts out of them in these dramatic displays. The king says, everyone, absolutely everyone, even the animals must fast. You must wear sackcloth and sit in ashes. They couldn't help but show their penitent hearts in these outward ways. Not for show, not to receive the compliments of their neighbors, not to receive the reward of everyone thinking they were a pious person, but they did it to show God that they could hardly express how sorry they were for what they had done. They did it to show themselves how sorry they were for what they had done. They fasted and wore sackcloth and sat in ashes in self-denial, saying to themselves and to God, we are not worthy. The only thing that can save us is your mercy. They did it because they believed God. That is what sorrow over sin looks like among the people of Nineveh. What about you? Are you sorry 
for your sins? Do you recognize that in your sin you have offended God's justice and you have hurt your neighbors and you have hurt yourself beyond repair? There is a right that we use occasionally. It's the right for individual confession and absolution, and it contains these beautiful words. And it's worth asking yourself if you believe them. Do you believe that you are a poor sinner? Do you believe that you have lived as if God did not matter and as if you have mattered most? Do you believe that God's name you have not honored as you should, that your worship and your prayers have faltered? Do you believe that you have not let God's love have its way with you, and so your love for others has failed? Do you believe that there are those whom you have hurt and those whom you have failed to help? Do you believe that your thoughts and your desires have been soiled with sin? Are you sorry? And do you desire to do better? When you say those words that we said just a moment ago, and you confessed your sins and you said that you deserve nothing but eternal punishment, do you believe it? Do you believe what God has to say about you? Are you sorry for your sins? If you are not, if right now you wonder whether you are really sorry for your sins, repent. Repent. Believe God. If that knife has become dull, let it tonight receive a new edge. Hear again that you are dust, and to dust you shall return. The wages of sin is death. We indeed deserve nothing but temporal and eternal punishment, and we are lost without God's grace. Remember, you are dust, and believe what he says. Believe what God says about you. And exercise yourselves. Exercise yourselves in repentance. As Jesus describes, he says to the disciples who are listening to him, he says, don't be like the Pharisees, don't be like the hypocrites, who, when they discipline themselves, when they live lives of repentance, are doing it for show, doing it so that people can see them and praise them. When you give to the needy, Jesus says, don't do it, even so that your right hand knows what your left hand is doing. But he says, give to the needy. Give to the needy. Why? So that you recognize your greed and your covetousness. And so that you recognize the need of your neighbor and you love them. Pray. When you pray, do not do it for show. Do not use long-winded prayers or stand in places where everybody can see you praying. Do not make a show of your piety. Instead, pray in secret where your Heavenly Father can see in secret. Why should you pray? To discipline yourself. To repent so that you do not, in pride, think that you can make it on your own, that you can solve your problems on your own, that the need that you experience in this life, you can handle. Pray because you cannot. Pray because you trust God. And fast. When you fast, he says, put oil in your hair and clean up your face so you don't look like you're fasting. Deny yourself the things that your flesh desires so that you can learn to say no. So that you can learn to say no to the things of this world, to the things of the devil, to the things of your flesh, so that in doing them you recognize, again, your own desperate need. When you feel that pang of hunger in your belly as you fast, remember that you are dust, and to dust you shall return.
exercise yourselves in self-discipline, not like the hypocrites, but as one who is sorry for what you have done. There are two parts to repentance. The first is sorrow over sin, and if ever you doubt whether you are truly sorry, just listen to what God says about you. Just listen to his words and see whether or not you are a sinner. And believe him. Believe him when he calls you what you are. But there are two parts, and the second part is most crucial, and that is faith. It is an amazing thing that Jonah explains to God why he didn't want to go and preach to Nineveh. And it is not like you would expect. It's not that he thought when he showed up in Nineveh and called them to repentance, they might stone him or drive him out of town or call him hateful names. That's not why he didn't want to do it at all. He didn't want to go to Nineveh because he knew that if he preached repentance to the people of Nineveh and they repented, that God would be merciful to them. And they wouldn't get what they deserved. Jonah was not an admirable prophet. (laughs) He didn't have people's best interest in mind. He didn't want to go because he knew. He knew how gracious and generous and merciful God is. That he stands at the ready to forgive even while we are his enemies. Even while we are running away from him, there he is, waiting for us to return. Waiting for us to hear of our sin, for sorrow to be aroused in our hearts, and for our faces to turn to him and call out for mercy. He is waiting. He is waiting. Return to me, he says through the prophet Joel. Return to me, for I am gracious and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Faith. Faith believes not only what God says about who you are, but most importantly what God says about how, what, who he is. That his love for you is beyond imagination. That his love for you is exactly what you need. You heard it in the last hymn. Sin abounds. Your sin is multiplying moment after moment, but God's grace abounds even more. Faster than your sin could grow, God's grace is poured out on you in abundance. Believe it. Believe it. That is what we are here to remember. To sharpen that knife. To give it a new edge. To learn again to sorrow over our sins. And most of all, to learn again to trust in God. Look to him. Listen to him. Cling to him in his body and blood, given and shed for you. And look forward in this church to that day when again we will sing the Alleluia's. As we see him risen and ascended to the right hand of God to bring us home with him. To God alone be all glory, now and forever. Amen.